Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski, and I thank you so much for joining us today on the Nahum Siegel Network. It is rare that a feature film resonates so with a moviegoer that immediately following the roll of credits, all you hear is quiet, followed by a buzz of the ifs and the whys being discussed by viewers as they re-enter reality. But this indeed was what I experienced when I had the opportunity to see the critically acclaimed Israeli film, Fill the Void. Fill the Void is a story of love, pain, and the search for answers in the troubling and complicated world of an 18-year-old Hasidic girl called Shira. After Shira's older sister dies in childbirth and her widowed husband contemplates moving to Belgium with their baby, Shira's mother suggests the late sister's husband as a match for her eligible bachelorette daughter. Now Shira is forced to choose between what's right for her and what's right for her family. Rama Burstein wrote and directed the film. She is the first Orthodox Hasidic woman to direct a feature-length film intended for wide distribution to a general audience. The film, in Hebrew called Lamalaya Tachalal, was Israel's submission to the Oscars in the foreign language film category last year and won seven Ophirs at Israel's Academy Awards, including Best Film, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Actress Hadas Yaron, who plays Shira, also took home the Best Lead Actress Award at the Venice Film Festival. Fill the Void premiered at the Venice Film Festival in September of 2012 and was released in the U.S. in late May. It is still playing in select theaters across the country. Joining me now to talk about the film is none other than Miss Burstein herself. Miss Burstein joins us live on the telephone from Israel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So, what was your inspiration for this film? Well, I actually went uh, to a wedding, and I was sitting with a friend when a very beautiful young girl came over, about 17 and a half, and she was wearing a lot of jewelry, which means she just got engaged. And my friend was congratulating her in a very weird way, and when she went away... My friend said, you see her? She's about to marry her late sister's husband. And that truly blew me away. And even though I didn't think about a film at that time, I was researching it because it was so fascinating how you make a transition in a family. So this is how it all started. And was this a Hasidic family or a Haredi family that you had witnessed this? It was a Hasidic family. So that's kind of unusual. It's unusual. I didn't understand. Yes. So that, that you thought that that was something unusual, and then you started to research it. I thought because I was not, you know, I, w- I was not born into a Hasidic community. I was secular till the age of 26. Only then I became religious, which is 20 years ago. So for me, uh, you know, this was a first to hear about someone that is marrying her late sister's husband. Right. So, so yeah. So but, what is the but process? You find a lot of that. You have. What is the process of from the idea to, you know, now looking back, the film is is done, it's in theaters, it's won awards. How does that process start? How did this process start? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, I, I did write a very short synopsis, and with that I went to a producer, which is a Safamir from Norma Productions. He's a secular, very well-known and big producer in Israel. And we started working on it, and I got a little, um, uh, how do you say it? Uh, I, I, the writing was funded by 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 one of the the film foundations here in in Israel. Okay. And when we finished doing that, I was in Sundance Lab that was done here in Israel. And then we just we, we got the money, which is a miracle in our days to really get the money to make a film. And then we casted it for a whole year. It took us to cast this film. Um, and then we shot it. And then we edited it for another year. And then we went to the Venice Film Festival. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. <laughs> when you look back now at this last year since the film's premiere, you know, it's been almost a year, what goes through your mind? But it's unbelievable. I really, really, really didn't expect this. And it, it's an amazing journey. I must say, in so many ways, it's so amazing. And it's a bit of a miracle, you know. It's not, I, I don't take it for granted, not for one little second. What are some of the things that you learned along the way, along this journey? Um, well, it's a lot of things, you know, it's, I, for 20 years I've been building my home, I am married, I have four kids, my eldest is already 16, and I've been living a very different kind of life I, 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 with me choosing them. I chose a life of not being in the center of things, which I truly, truly believe in, and and love, and this year was a was it, it it broke that. I was totally in the center and talking a lot to people as the way I do right now, and being exposed and not private the way I was used to in the past twenty years. So that's that's major for me, and um, I'm fine with it, and I I think I did it nicely. <laughs> And I, you know, I survived it, but it, I'm glad to go back to my little shell, knowing that it's not for a long period of time because I'm going to have another project coming up. So I still, it, I, I just, you know, I came back two weeks ago from Germany, and then I'm done. I was done with the film, with traveling with it, but I'm still thinking about what happened. It's not that I totally understand what happened in the past year. Did you ever dream when you sat down to write the screenplay that it would have the kind of effect that it has had on the public? No, not at all. I was, I was really thinking about Israel, first of all, that it would be amazing if this little bridge could be true, you know, could be, could be reality, that people would, you know, see my world in my country, which there's a lot of tension between the groups and just to have this little moment of peace. Never in my life did I think that internationally it's going to work the way it did. No, I did not. It's really a surprise. did not think about that.
Has there been any sort of reaction, as you said, from your community? To my biggest surprise, it goes along with all surprises, the community, you know, sometimes people can be extreme, just, you know, being extreme, and it doesn't even mean that they saw the film, but everything was accepted in a very, you know, a very calm way. Um, I have all kinds of theories why, but it was it's different than what I expected. I expected, expected it to make more noise in the community that people, you know, say, is it good what you did? And it didn't happen. I, and, and anyway, it didn't get got to me. It didn't get to me. <laughs> right. People did not, you know, tell me that, what, what did you do? Um, so, and it's, and it's, I did not expect that. I was ready for, I wouldn't say war because there was no reason to fight, but I, I expected for more noise, and that didn't happen, so. And I got some very, very strong and powerful um, comments on the film from, 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 the, from the community. So I was very glad with that. Yeah, you know, there's a moment in the film that, you know, as, a, as an Orthodox Jew, kind of made me wonder, like, where is she going with this? So there's a moment when Shira is standing dangerously close to her potential suitor, Yochi, and it almost feels that they might touch. And there's a tension there between the two that is very, very palpable. How difficult was it to create that moment? And were you worried about people's reaction to, to that kind of moment? Um, this moment, it's, it was, it was critical for the film because the film, um, nobody says anything and you don't really understand what people feel. It's, I find that people just know that the journey is very personal journey and everyone sees the film very, very differently. And when I did, when I shot the scene, which was I, for me, it was very clear. It's a very tensioned and, in a way, uh, sexual scene, right. you know? Uh, some people saw it as if she's so frightened that she's afraid he's going to rape her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some people saw it as a very, you know, tense Jane Austen kind of um, scene. Right. I knew that it could, you know, could it could be uncomfortable for people, but we must understand that the film was not done for the Orthodox community. It was done for people that that are used to seeing film, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing, of course, very different scenes than very open and liberal scenes. So for me, I had to have something, and for my world, I didn't break any law. Right. So. Um, I think it was critical for the film because uh, without that, it could have been, you know, a, a bubble that you wouldn't even know what's what's between the two. Right. And do you think that that showcasing this kind of process, the process of of arranged marriages and such, has offered some clarity to people outside of the Orthodox community or people outside the Hasidic community or the Haredi community? Do you think it's offered some clarity? I think I think that the the, the 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 strongest thing that the film did is to 
to show that it's a matter of choice. And I wouldn't call it arranged marriages. I would call it arranged options. Mm -hmm. The options are brought to you, but you have to choose. Nobody can choose it for you. People can say, your parents can say, maybe this thing is good or the other thing is, you know, but but it's up to you to choose. And it was very important for me to, to... to clarify that because people think that it's not. Uh, they think that, that, that we don't choose. So um, I think it just clarified that the fact is that, you know, is that if a girl and a boy do not go to a theater or a cinema or, I don't know, you know, work together, then they wouldn't meet. We have, we have to arrange that meeting. Right. But then it's up to them to choose if they want to marry or not. Right. I think that's an excellent point. Thank you. And something that's, um, you know, in general, very, very misunderstood. And then to actually bring us into those meetings where we're sort of put in inside Shira's experience in such a real way, um, you know, I think was was very, very beautiful the way that you did that. Um, Did you consult anyone in the writing and depiction of the characters? I did, I, I did not because I know the world very well. I, I am that world. Even though I joined it, you know, I've been there for 26. These are my friends. This is my kids, you know. I don't, I didn't need, need to research the world. I did research the case. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to more than, I don't, I don't know, about 15 women that, some of them are already grandmothers that married their late sister's husband. Wow. So I did do that, but the, the characters themselves are the characters I created just knowing them, you know? Right. They're, they're my husbands, they are my kids, they are my friends. Um, Have your you friends seen the, the film? There. What? Have your friends seen the film? Yeah, of course, of course. My closest, my closest community, that the, you know, people are really close to me. Of course, all of them saw the film, and they were very supportive. That's for sure. I would never go to do a, to to an adventure like this without the blessing of my my close community. You know, right. Of course. Your movie um, to date has grossed more than you know, almost two and a half million dollars. Are you surprised at the success of the film? And why do you think your film has been as successful as it's been? Well, of course I'm surprised (laughs) with everything with this film. I'm going to, you know, it's the same answer all the time, but um, I'm surprised. And, but I, because I was traveling with the film and I, you know, I already got to see the connection that, you know, internationally people have with this film, I think there's something very simple about this love story. And and this is something that, you know, you have in common that doesn't matter where you are. And that community is a very... It, it, there's a lot of curiosity around, the, you know, the, the Haredim and the Hasidic because they're very suspicious and they won't let someone from the outside, you know, just have their interpretation of, of their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's like a first, in a way, of um, having it from the inside. Um, so I think that was that was very, you know, people were curious to see. 
Um, and yet, it, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's just, you know, it's a love story. It always works. Right, because love is if universal. It, you know, if it works, then it works all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, because love, love definitely is universal. Um, I saw a photo of you, um, you know, dressed very appropriately and very beautifully, I might add, standing on the red carpet. I believe it was at the Venice Film Festival. And you talked earlier about having had been such a private person put into such a public, you know, public eye. What was that like for you, walking down the red carpet and seeing, you know, sort of all these people looking at Rama Burstein. What, what went through your head? That's the beginning of the, the journey, you know, the, the coming out of the film. Um, it was very, very hard for me. I, I, I mean, I have to be honest. I'm, it, I know this world, and, it's, and, I, and, I, and I can maneuver there, you know, not even with a lot of effort. Okay? It's not about that. It's not about me being very shy. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But it was very, very, very hard for me because I, 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 I don't like to be in the center. I know how to be in the center, but I don't like it. And for me to go on the red carpet was, was a, a dilemma. It was an issue. We, I spoke a lot about it with my husband and together with our rabbi. Should I? Should I not? It was not an obvious thing to do it at the end I said I would go on this carpet only with my husband mm-hmm. I will not go there on my own as if I'm in my own person you know just <laughs> making a film it's a family thing and if it's okay then it's going to be with my husband and this is what it was um, it was shocking and Already, it's a year ago, so it's a bit already a bit far away. But I think if you would talk to me in, let's say, another half a year, I would be smarter about this whole year. But the beginning of it was very, very. It was very, very strong, and I wanted it to end. And I did not feel comfortable there, not before, not after. And it's like a very far away memory already. It's almost surreal. It's it, the, the thing itself was totally surreal. Mm-hmm. Today already, you know, with, with, with you traveling, up till then I didn't even know about the, the Venice Film Festival. You know, it was it was a first, and I did not expect that when I went there. Uh, today everything's different. I've been around, and I know what's happening. It's a bit different, um, but it was shocking, and it was very. It made me. It, it's, a, it's very uncomfortable. It, it's embarrassing. But I think you, everyone, you know, everyone for a first time feels that way. So maybe for me, because I'm not 20, I'm not there to just, you know, eat the world up. Um, that I felt even more <laughs> uncomfortable. But it's an uncomfortable situation for all people, I think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Suddenly, and- everyone wants to take a photo of you. Who are you that they want to take a photo? Or people ask you to sign, uh, I don't know, sign the paper, and you say, why would they want my signature? <laughs> it's, like, ridiculous. It was very uncomfortable. Wow. Well, you know, I- I'm happy for you that you did have the support of your husband there on the red carpet. What did he have to say after that that big stroll and, you know, the paparazzi and the autographs and all that? What, what was his reaction? 
my husband was shocked, like I was, even more than me, because he's more delicate than me. And when he went back to Israel, and I went from there to Toronto, he he got home and he he had um, dizziness for like a month. He felt dizzy all the time. It was wow. so strong. Um, it was it it it, it, it was <laughs> again. It was very very weird and uncomfortable. And yet, I think that the strongest thing was that. We, we, we found each other there, you know, as a husband and wife in that very surreal, unbelievable situation. It was me and him, and I think that was very strong for for both of us the whole journey. Um, but it, you know, he was he was shocked. He did not expect that either. So, wow. To those people who haven't yet gone out to see the film. What do you want moviegoers to know, if anything, before they see it? I think that I think that the the, the strongest thing to go to, into the film with is the the fact that the relocation of this film is the hero's heart, my main character's heart, and this is a journey inside a heart. Then you know, trying to understand what what someone feels and what someone wants and how someone chooses what, he, you know, the choices he makes. I think this is the most important thing. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, I'm a little bit curious, and I know that we have to wrap it up in a moment or two. Um, I want to bring you back to something that you said earlier. When you first started out the film, you went to a big secular producer um, what is it like for a religious woman such as yourself to be working so closely with, you know, artists in the secular world? And, um, you know, perhaps because you spoke about your background a little bit, maybe you have some something that influences you in your movie making today uh, from your experience in the secular community. Um, but I had read that a lot of your actors were not actually religious actors. And so what was that like for you to work so closely in imparting, you know, this world to to so many secular people that you worked so closely with? First of all, again, it, it, if if I was a born and raised ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jew, it would have been a very interesting question and probably a very interesting answer, which is not in the, in the matter of the answer because... I was. I know. I know the world. I know. And for 26 years, I was secular and wild and liberal, and I was totally there. And I studied cinema in uh, in a very very fine school in Jerusalem. And so I and I learned at the Sam Spiegel Film School in Jerusalem, which is a very very fine school. So that was not a problem. The problem for me was to. To be there again, mm-hmm. okay. It's different than to be there for the first time. Right. And it went very smoothly. Why I have no idea. It could have been a very different scenario, and it wasn't. Um, it took us a year to cast the film, as I was saying. And once we did, the whole cast was was very special, and working with them was very very special. And they, and I chose them a lot through the, the the chemistry that I had with them, not only if they were this kind of actors, better or worse, it was 
what I felt with them and how I felt we can work together. So, so that was beautiful. And then I worked with men, which was something that I was not used to doing in the past 20 years. And that was something I had to be strict about with myself. Right. Uh, let's say I worked with my cinematographer uh, when we, you know, we prepared for the film. I never sat alone with him. I had an assistant with me all the time. Right. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to, you have, you have to, to, to take care and yet to stay warm and, you know, and loving because it's a very intimate uh, experience right. for all of us. And to 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 maneuver that was a, was a bit weird but I I, I, I don't know I, I it's, this film had so much help from above otherwise I cannot really explain it that you know people said on the film a lot of them are not religious the crew some are religious some not the, the actors some yes and some not and everyone would say that if life was a little bit like this film it would have been really nice between the groups wow. because it was like a piece you know, a, a peaceful and creative and emotionally strong set. Um, so it could have been many, many scenarios, but it wasn't. It was really, really beautiful. And I wish if I, I'll ever do anything else, it will be as, at least like this. If not, you know, or whatever. Right. Well, what what's next from Ramah Burstein? What are we going to see from you next? Well, my next film that we're working on now, I mean, it's written already and we're starting to produce, will be in the States, in New York. It will be at Williamsburg. Again, it's going to be a Hasidic community, but this time it's a wider film with a huge Hasidic community. Again, right. of course, it's always a story, and it's always intimate, and it's always in a room at the end with two characters, but the background is different than the background in Fill the Void. Mm-hmm. And uh, this time it's in America. And Fill the Void was shot in Israel, right? Excuse me? Fill the Void was shot in Israel, right? Yes, it's a, yeah. yeah. I saw that actually what I did with Fill the Void was not Israeli. It was more Jewish. Right. So Jew, a Jewish thing you can do wherever there's Jews. Right. When you, we look forward to greeting you in person when you come stateside, and we look forward to greeting you in our studio. Okay. We will do that. Rama Burstein, thank you so much. And uh, we're, we're so honored that you took some time to talk with us today, and we've all been very inspired by your film. And um, we look forward to great things from you. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll be back with more of something to talk about right after this. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about. Welcome back to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski, and you're listening to the Nahum Siegel Network. I'd love to hear from you if you have story ideas or comments about today's show or any show. Email me at randy at nachamsegel.com. That's R-A-N-D-I at nachamsegel.com.
You just heard from Israeli writer-director Rama Burstein, who joins us live on the phone from Tel Aviv to talk about her critically acclaimed film, Fill the Void. I hope by now most of you have seen the film, and if you have not, it is definitely worthy of a night out at the cinema. It is a unique Jewish film, and one that will keep you thinking even after the lights in the theater go back on. Here to give us some more perspective on this film and on Jewish films in general is Jewish film critic Jonathan Chizdiz. Jonathan is an independent film critic who's been reviewing films since 1986. He narrowed his focus to concentrate on Jewish films back in 2009 and launched a Jewish film review website, chizfilm.net, in 2006. Jonathan's reviews and articles have appeared in numerous publications, including The Orlando Spectator, The Orlando Reporter, The Bet Chaim L'Chaim, Content of Character, and Persona John Grada. He has also co-authored and produced a Jewish-themed play and is currently working on a novel. Jonathan joins us now live via telephone from Orlando, Florida. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure, Randy. So I want to talk a little bit about the film Fill the Void. But first, to get some perspective, what is a Jewish film? Well, that's an excellent question and one that I had to ask myself when I first launched my website. Uh, Different people have different ideas. Uh, Some people think that, well, it's a film that deals with Jewish issues. Uh, Some people say, well, if it has at least one Jewish character, it's a Jewish film, and uh, there are some other people who say, well, it's got to be a film that reinforces traditional Jewish values. Well, I want to give as broad a definition as possible uh, to include all of that and so much more. Um, uh, Basically, I would say any film that is in any way uh, related to Judaism uh, and addresses issues which I feel the Jewish community should be interested in. Mm-hmm. And when you say the Jewish community should be interested in, what about the community at large? Oh, well, well, certainly uh, there are an awful lot of Jewish films that may appeal to general audiences. Uh, for example, um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, uh, which came out a few years ago uh, by Quentin Tarantino, uh, had a very large uh, non-Jewish audience. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is a, a very popular director. Uh, and yet this particular film uh, deals uh, very much with uh, Jewish themes, with Jewish characters who are involved uh, in World War II fighting against the Nazis. Right. So so what I think is so interesting about the film Fill the Void is that it has a, a very uniquely Jewish content, I mean, to the point where there are melodies that are sung in the film that probably only people that are intimately connected with the Orthodox community or the Jewish community would understand them in context. And yet that film, this film, was intended for general audiences. Well, you're absolutely right, Randy. Um, It was very interesting because when I saw the film, I actually uh, saw it with a friend of mine who was not Jewish, Mm -hmm. and uh, he had a, a very positive reaction to it. And uh, he, he felt that the uh, ideas and, and situations in the film uh, were, were very well, – well, the situations may have been specific to the Jewish community, but the overall themes were, were universal, the themes of, you know, being loyal to the family and who you want to marry and uh, those sorts of things. And he felt that he could very strongly relate to it. Right. And it's one of the things that I had asked Ramah Burstein earlier 
if uh, why she felt that this film was so well liked by the general audience and why people you know were flocking toward this film even if they were not members of the Jewish community or connected to the Jewish community in some way and what she said was that you know it's at the end of the day it's a love story and um, you know love stories are universal and their messages are universal and and you're saying it's a story of family which is certainly a universal theme as well oh of course definitely uh, in fact, I remember um, I was reading some review of it, and someone said, well, it had something similar to The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what? The Godfather? <laughs> and then I thought, well, yeah, in the way the movie The Godfather deals with, with family ties, and, you know, you have to be loyal to the family. And uh, in that sense, it, it, it does uh, relate to that. Do you also think, that, and I guess we could use The Godfather as an example of this also, that because it's such an unknown type of community, that it's almost like if you go see the film, you're like a voyeur into the life that you never really get to see. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. That, that, that's another uh, appeal of this film uh, for the non-Jewish viewer. Um, that there's, uh, to, to someone who's not at all familiar with the world of the ultra-Orthodox, it's, it's uh, exotic, it's, it's strange and unique and interesting and, uh, and really wow. Most definitely, um, most definitely. And didn't you think it was also kind of nice to see that, hey, these are people too and they have emotions and the marriages aren't what other people might think they are looking from the outside? Oh, yes, I think that's another uh, very important point. Um, if you look at some of the other films which have depicted uh, Heredi, uh, an ultra-Orthodox world, it's usually been in a stereotypical way, and the characters haven't been very developed. And I was extremely impressed with the way uh, Mrs. Burstein uh, created these characters and brought incredible acting uh, out of her actors, and you just really feel for the characters. I mean, despite what you might think about the uh, the morals that, that govern uh, their society and, and their social and traditional values, you, you really feel for the characters and that they come alive. Most definitely. And you can relate to them also at almost at every moment of the film. Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, one of the things that I particularly like about this film is it's very, it's at slow pace and the, the slow camera movements. And there are many times uh, the camera is, is very steady or, or it moves very slowly, and an actor will just sort of sit there and sigh, and you can sense the pain or frustration or, in some cases, the joy. I mean, whatever the emotion is, it really comes out. Yeah, you know, some people that I spoke with um, didn't like the film because of that. And felt that artistic, you know, although this was a very artistic decision um, by the director to put in sort of these reflective moments or these silent moments where, you know, the viewer is sort of left to, you know, really feel, as you said, the emotions of the character. Um, But I did speak to some people who felt that, you know, the movie was slow. It was kind of sluggish. It didn't move along. We were waiting for something to happen. When's it going to move on? Did did you find that as well? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I did have a friend who had seen the film before I did, and uh, she said to me, "Oh, you know, don't 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 waste your time. It's so slow." Uh-huh. Um, but but to me, slow is a code word 
that means um, it has more emphasis on character than plot. Um, and and I really like that. You know, let me tell you, this past weekend I happened to see two movies, uh, one of which was playing in the theater, and the other was a movie that we showed at our synagogue uh, for part of our, our Jewish film series. And that was uh, the Israeli film The Band's Visit, mm-hmm. which I had seen several times before and enjoyed very much. But as I was watching it uh, the other day, it just really struck me how slow the pace was. And I mean that in in the best possible sense. It was very much like Fill the Void, because uh, that's a film that takes place over a period of about maybe 24 hours or so. And very much like Fill the Void, the characters say an awful lot with very little dialogue. And it's just a lovely film, and you're so appreciative of how slow it moves and, and how humorous the situations are. And, and it's so much the opposite of this other movie that I saw this last weekend, which was in the theaters. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called uh, The Wolverine. Okay. It's one of these action uh, superhero... No, the last X-Men movie I saw actually was Despicable Me too. but... <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> that but, was kind of a fast-paced film. Yeah, but yeah, so, I mean, yeah, The Wolverine, it, it doesn't pause to breathe. It just goes along at the pace of a bullet train. Mm-hmm. And when it's over, you kind of have to stop and say, whoa, wait, what happened? How did we get from point A to point B? Right. Uh, whereas in Fill the Void and uh, other films like The Band's Visit, you don't have to wonder. You're, you go nice and slow, and you can really enjoy the journey. Right. I, I agree with you about that. And I think also uh, from the perspective, you know, I'm coming at it at the perspective of an Orthodox Jew, It's yeah, we kind of got a kick out of being in the general movie theater. Uh, we went to see it somewhere in New Jersey, uh, not even like in Manhattan. And, you know, it was kind of a, a trip to see on the big screen, you know, customs that we're familiar with and a community that we can relate to. In a way that you know, we almost felt like represented to the world in this way. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can uh, relate to that a hundred percent, and and not not just about this specific film, but about Jewish film in general. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up uh, Jewish, but as a kid, very rarely seeing anything Jewish depicted on screen. Uh, now that there are all these films that show. Uh, Jewish customs and Jewish families and Jewish characters. Uh, I, I just really get a kick out of that and thinking to myself, hey, you know, that's that's my people up there. Right. And uh, and I can really make a connection. I, I just love films that sort of reflect myself back it, to me. Yeah. Is that what made you decide to go ahead and narrow your focus? I mean, you um, you were a, a regular film critic, an independent film critic, and then yes. you decided yes. to narrow your focus and focus on Jewish films. And what exactly. spurred on that decision? I, exactly, because um, when I had first started this site, I really wasn't getting a lot of hits. Not A lot of people weren't going to it, and a friend of mine suggested it's because I was competing with, you know, a thousand other people just like me out there on the Internet uh, doing general film reviews. Mm-hmm. And she suggested to me that I narrow my focus. And she gave me, as an example, a friend of hers who who did reviews only of uh, gay and lesbian films. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, I don't really know all that much about that particular topic. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, well, what type of films do I really enjoy the most? And it took me all of, I don't know, maybe a half hour to realize that it was the Jewish films uh, that, that I most related to. 
and and I've been very surprised in all that time since within the last four years that there really hasn't been uh, much other presence on the internet of uh, exclusively Jewish uh, film criticism. Right, most definitely, most definitely. Do you think that we as Jews should be flattered or offended by the interest of the general audience in sort of our, uh, not, not necessarily even just the specifics of our religion, but in the general way that we conduct our lives and, you know, the, stereoty- the stereotypes, the stereotypical Jewish mother, etc. You think we should be flattered by that? Well, well, a little of both. And I, I think it depends on how the Jewish characters uh, in the films are portrayed. Um, I think, uh, for example, there's this movie which came out a few years ago called An Education, uh, where there's one Jewish character, and that one character turns out to be an absolutely horrible person. And I was just really, really bothered and insulted in the way that this film chose to portray the only Jewish character. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas uh, there are other films that... Um, that, that portray Jews in, in much more uh, positive light. And and those, of course, I, I think uh, we should feel flattered. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, this particular film that we started to talk about, Fill the Void, I mean, we'll never really know if it is a true exact depiction of how, you know, marriages work in the Hasidic community. I think the point that Rama Burstein made when I spoke with her earlier, she said that... Uh, um, you know, we, we shouldn't call them arranged marriages, but her her point was sort of like she wanted to show people that there is a choice. These are, what did she say, arranged choices, you know. And I think that even having that little insight into, you know, a community that we might not ever really know what's going on on the inside is is important. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, when they talk about arranged marriages, will think of Fiddler on the Roof because right. that's one of the, the very few Jewish films that just about everyone has seen that that depicts uh, arranged marriages. And in that film, uh, when it's even suggested that the daughter uh, doesn't like the guy that uh, the father picked out, she throws a fit, Mm -hmm. and uh, the fact that the father, in the end, decides to relent is seen as something extremely unusual, so unusual that, you know, Tevye has to make up this elaborate story that, oh, he had a dream that it was going to be a bad marriage. Right. and so people, th- when they hear of arranged marriages, they think, well, that's what it must be. But um, clearly, uh, that's not what's going on in Fill the Void. Uh, there's another uh, Israeli film called Late Marriage, which also depicts a similar type of, uh, of arranged marriages, where the, <clears throat> the children are sort of allowed to, uh, the parents make the decision, or make the suggestion, they put the two kids in the room, let them talk uh, for 10 minutes, and they say, okay, so do you want to do it or not? Um, which is, is, is a little forced, perhaps, but mm-hmm. it's, I mean, they're allowed to say no, and if, and if they say no, say, okay, we'll, we'll go find someone else. So, I mean, there is, there is veto power. How many, how much of the Jewish films that you've reviewed do you think have a lot of Jewish input into the films? Uh, well, that's a good question. I'm I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I because I thought it was so interesting. Is, that my guess is that most of them probably do have um, at least um, 
you know, certain Jewish consultants, uh, Jewish writers, Jewish directors, Jewish actors. Right. Um, it's hard to say. I, I know, for example, uh, the movie The Believer, uh, which is uh, Ryan Gosling's first film, which he played a a Jew who uh, basically became an anti-Semite. Um, I, I had, when I had saw the film, I had just sort of assumed that the actor was Jewish because he clearly knew so much about the religion and, right. and basically and conveyed that whole sense of being Jewish. Right. And I found out later that uh, he wasn't Jewish and he had to learn. Uh, fortunately, in this, in this case, the director was Jewish, uh, and he was able to help coach the actor, so much so that uh, he gave a, a very believable performance. Yeah, I mean, I also just assumed that the actors in Fill the Void were Hasidim because it was such a genuine portrayal of the music and the accent and, uh, you know, just even the look, you know, the, the beards look general, they look yes. genuine. Um, and then I found out that indeed very, very few of the actors were actually religious actors. Right. And, and yet they, they were Jewish, though. They were Israeli. Right, but, right. But, but they were not uh, ultra-Orthodox. Right, exactly. So. Okay, so uh, let's just remind our audience, we're talking to Jonathan Chizdiz, who's a Jewish movie film critic. He's got a website, chizdiz.net. Chizfilm. Sorry, sorry, chizfilm.net, C-H-I-Z-F-I-L-M.net. So we encourage everybody to go to your website and go ahead and read some of those reviews and even get some ideas of some films that they might be interested in seeing. So you've prepared for us a list of four films that you think are great Jewish films that that we should go out and, and see. Yes. Uh, yeah, so yeah. The, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. So the first one that we have here um, is a film called The Toll Booth, and that came out in 2004. And this is what you told me about the film. It's an independent comedy about a 20-something woman trying to make it in the larger world while dealing with overbearing Jewish parents who are bothered by her lack of respect for Jewish traditions, especially dating a non-Jewish boyfriend. So we're going to go ahead and listen to a small clip of the film and uh, get some reaction from you. Easy. Watch it! Okay. You don't have to yell. Maybe I should prepare for Passover all by myself. That's supposed to be a threat. Very funny. Sarah Beth, why don't you just do the silverware? I would think you would be better at this considering your new line of work. You know what? If you don't like waiters, maybe you shouldn't go to restaurants anymore. What kind of men are you going to meet in that environment, huh? Ma, my boyfriend is on his way over here. I mean a man that you would consider marrying. Ma, she just got out of school. Leave her alone. Yeah, why do you want to marry me off so bad anyways? You're not getting a dowry from me. I want to see you safe and settled and secure with somebody that cares about you. I'm not getting any younger, you know. I can't do this forever. Ma, we can take care of ourselves. We do take care of ourselves. Would it be so terrible to see a few Jewish grandchildren running around here from any of you? Children, I want these dishes very well organized. Look at the way Becky's doing this. Wait. Perfect. Perfect, my darling. Perfect, little Becky. Eight days. We've got to put these dishes back. We've been doing this since you're a little girl. Do you ever feel like the Torah invents extra housework? Oh, please. I don't do half of what my mother used to do, and she didn't do half of what Grandma used to do. You know what they say. Something is lost in, in every, every generation. generation. What do you think? The daddy's the only religious one. What am I? There's some schlub that does all the housework? What? When do I ever forget to separate milk from meat. When do I ever forget to keep God in my mind? Cracking the whip. Okay, so that was definitely an actress whose voice we could recognize. That was Tova Feldshu playing the yes. mother. And uh, 
what were we Who hearing was a, in that clip? What wonderful, wonderful actress. Yeah. Uh, what What were we hearing in that clip, and what does this What is this movie about? Okay. Well, that was a clip from uh, very early in the film, and uh, it's right at the beginning of Passover, and they're. Uh, this is the conversation that the mother is having with her daughter as they're changing uh, the plates. Uh, they're putting away the chometz dishes and bringing out the pesadik dishes. And as they're doing that, uh, her daughter, who is a recent college graduate, is sort of uh, criticizing um, formal religion, and, uh, and, and the mother is sort of reminding her how important it is. And this, this scene uh, sets the tone for the tension uh, between the mother and the daughter that uh, develops as the film goes along. Right, and what do you think is so appealing about this film? Well, as, at least on a personal level, uh, it, it very much reflects my own experience uh, when I was about the same age as the main character, uh, Sarah Beth, uh, who's played by uh, Marla Sokoloff. And uh, I, think, I think there are a lot of people, when they're sort of graduate from college, they sort of begin to turn away from religion and say, well, well what's the point of it? And uh, it, it takes a lot, I think, to, uh, to sort of turn around again and get a more mature perspective on what it's all about. And uh, in this particular film, you have uh, both of her parents, the mother and the father, are a bit overbearing, and uh, they're putting pressure on Sarah Beth reminding her you know, of the whole history of the family, how the, uh, her aunts were persecuted in the Holocaust and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and she's uh, sort of rebelling against the family. But, but it's a comedy, uh, so that, uh, it's, it, beca- it's, uh, it becomes exaggerated and, and humorous and, and enjoyable. And, and you can laugh at the characters and, and see yourself sort of reflected in that. Interesting, interesting. And, and, you know, even if you don't know the details, like you said about, you know, turning over your kitchen with the Pesach and the Chametz or whatever, the coming-of-age story is what's appealing for the general audience as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think this is something that, that can appeal to a, a non-Jewish audience. That There's plenty of Jewish references in the film, like to Passover and Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah and, and, uh, and the Jewish history. But certainly the idea of uh, generational conflict is something that uh, anyone can relate to, right. regardless of what culture right. uh, they're brought up in. Most definitely. Okay, we're going to uh, just mention your second um, recommendation, which is a film called The Quarrel from 1991. Um, we're going to listen to the clip from, from the next film. We won't listen to the clip from this film, but just tell us a little bit about what The Quarrel is about. Uh, um, This is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, It's based on a short story by Chaim Grade, or actually it might be Chaim Grade, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, Um, but it's basically uh, these two Holocaust survivors who have, um, uh, they've been separated, and then they they meet up again uh, a couple years after the Holocaust, and one of them, because of his experience, has become all the more committed to Judaism, and the other has basically become an atheist. And, wow. Uh, basically has, has turned against God mm-hmm. because, because of the atrocities uh, committed by the Holocaust. And they have this wonderful dialogue, which to me represents what's one of the most important uh, Jewish uh, dialogues that you can have, and that's 
the nature of God and, and why would God allow uh, suffering and evil uh, in the world if God is in fact so uh, so good and powerful and just. So I'm sure this is definitely a film that is very thought-provoking. Oh yes, yes, it, it's very much a, a thinking person's film. It uh, has to do a lot has to do a lot with the, theology, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and particularly in the wake of the Holocaust, uh, it, it becomes a, a very difficult topic. But at the same time, the two characters are both uh, very deep characters. They're not just merely mouthpieces for two uh, theolo- opposing theological views. And, and the interaction between these two friends who just can't agree is, is just really touching and, and very moving. Well, yes, it does sound very moving. Um, okay, third on your list is a film called Liberty Heights from 1999. What's this film about? Ah, well, uh, this is, if you're familiar with uh, Barry Levinson, the director, he's done uh, several films about uh, growing up in Baltimore in the 1950s. Uh, But this particular film is the one that uh, most focuses on Jewish issues. Uh, There's the uh, family, and there are three different subplots. Uh, One is the youngest son, Ben, who's a senior in high school, and he uh, has fallen in love with an uh, African-American girl. Uh, his older brother, Van, uh, has uh, become nuts over uh, uh, sort of a white uh, upper-class woman that he, he thinks is living in this wonderful dream world. Mm-hmm. And then their father, uh, who's played by Joe Montagna, uh, is basically running a numbers racket. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's dealing with... Um, well, he's not exactly a gangster, but he's close to it, and so and he's dealing with uh, breaking uh, the laws and uh, and kind of uh, shadowy stuff. And why was this film one of your top four well, well, recommendations? Well, I have to tell you, um, on a very uh, personal level, it's it's a very deeply important film for me personally because uh, when I met uh, the woman who would later become my wife. Uh, we saw this film together on one of our very first dates, about maybe uh, two two weeks after we had first met. And uh, she's an African American woman, and we were both very much touched in this film by the relationship between uh, Ben and his uh, girlfriend Sylvia, the African American woman. And uh, as the two of them, as she becomes interested in Judaism and he becomes interested in African American culture. Uh, my wife, or the woman who had become my wife, and I um, saw ourselves reflected in this. And so after we watched the movie, because you know, both of us are, are real film buffs, this is what, what geeks do on a date, <laughs> uh, we co-authored a movie review together. Cool. And your wife has since converted? Oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, she, she converted, and, uh, and we, we had a lovely Jewish wedding, and... Uh, and we, in fact, we, we we watched this movie shortly before the wedding. Uh, watched it again a second time. Oh, very nice. And so, what are we going to hear in this clip? Um, oh, I'm trying. Oh, it's yes. Halloween. Oh yes, that's right. Um, there, this is a clip from the beginning of the film uh, where Ben has come down dressed up for Halloween. He's going to go out to a uh, costume party, but he has decided to dress up as Adolf Hitler. And again, this is 1954, so it's 
been nine years since the end of World War II. It's a Jewish household. And you can imagine how the parents react to seeing their son dressed as Adolf Hitler. Okay, good. Let's take a listen. Oh, my God. Oh. Have you lost your mind? Have you completely lost your mind? What are you talking about? It's Halloween. Oh, there's something wrong with this boy. He's under the thick. Bob, the war was over forever ago. I can't breathe. Where do you think you're going? To a party. It's Halloween. You are not leaving this house dressed as Adolf Hitler. It's Halloween. That's the joke. Couldn't you have gone as a pilot or a reindeer, huh? I can't. Either take that off or I'm calling your father. You are not going out of this house, period. Mom, it took me forever to get this costume together. I had to go all the way down to Sunny Surplus downtown just to get boots like these. Oh, how the fiddle is in the hole. I'm calling your father now. You are not going out. What do you guys think? It might be a tad too much. What is that business with take this off or I'm calling your father? <laughs> oh, yes. Um... I, I think there's there's a lot of families, and I don't know if, if uh, Jewish families have a monopoly on this, but yeah, it's a lot of families that um, you know the 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 mother and the father will uh, just go to each other and say, you know, if if, if you don't do this, then uh, I'm going to get your father. Right. Right. Well, um, Jonathan, we're just almost about out of time, so we won't have ch- a chance to hear the last clip. But tell us a, a, real quickly about that fourth movie that you're recommending that we see. Uh, this is called uh, Hiding and Seeking, uh, Faith and Tolerance After the Holocaust. And this is a documentary, a very personal documentary, made by Menachem Daum. And he's a, ortho- a modern Orthodox Jew, but his, his two sons are ultra-Orthodox Jews. They're studying in a yeshiva in Jerusalem. And he's a bit concerned about uh, their, the growing extremism in the world and uh, religions uh, hating each other. And so he wants to teach his sons that it's important uh, not to hate uh, Gentiles. And so he takes them on a trip to Poland to see if they can find the, uh, the Gentiles who had saved their grandfather from the Holocaust. And it's just a really amazing film. Wow, it does sound pretty amazing. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for your insights, and thanks so much for sharing so much of your acute knowledge with us. We, uh, oh, well, thank you, Randy. We definitely have our work cut out for us now in our in our movie nights. Uh, yes, uh, by the way, I did want to mention that all four of the films uh, that I recommended are available on Amazon, and uh, both uh, The Toll Booth and uh, Hiding and Seeking are available through Netflix. And, uh, yeah, we want to remind our listeners also to uh, check you out on chizfilm.net, C-H-I-Z-F-I-L-M.net. And if you have any questions or comments about today's program, you can email me at randy at nachumsegel.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, everybody. We hope that we've given you something to talk about and something to think about right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give them something.